My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the Lord be in my heart and on my lips that I may worthily and fitly proclaim the gospel in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 20 years ago, there was a book. Yeah, 20 years. I looked this up, so I know it was 20 years. 20 years ago, when I was a young man, uh, a younger man, I should say, because I'm still young. And that's not me fishing for a compliment at the door later on. No, Pastor, you are. You are. About 20 years ago, a book came out that was uh, a big hit in the Christian world, and I think rightfully so. And I'm not a huge fan of a lot of popular Christian, Christian books, uh, but this book was, was generally pretty solid. It was called Finishing Strong, and it had, I had a, 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 a strong influence on the church that I was attending at the time. The, the senior pastor had read it, and some of the youth lead, the pastors had read it, and it was something that our church really sort of sunk in. And the whole point of the book was it doesn't matter how popular you are. It doesn't matter how big your church gets. It doesn't matter how much influence you accrue. You know, to contextualize a little bit, it doesn't matter how many TikTok followers you have or how many Instagram followers you have, how many Snapchat followers you have. If Snapchat is even still a thing, I don't know. But it does, none of that matters. What matters is if you finish the race of faith. The race of faith. There have been many people those in the ministry and those not in the ministry who started out of the gate like a racehorse, who started out very strong, who everybody would look to and say, this person definitely has the strength to finish this race. But they wound up not having the character or the foundation and the support they needed to maintain a reasonable pace. And just popping into my head right now, reasonable pace. I think a lot of problems we have in the Christian life, particularly in our devotional lives, problems pop up when we try to do too much, too quickly, and too early. Have you ever had that experience? Well, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. I'm going to read two chapters from Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. I'm going to read two chapters of the New Testament. I'm even going to read the book of Revelation. I'm going to do this every morning. I'm going to say our Father. Uh, I'm going I'm to remember to continue to pray throughout the day. Uh, I'm going to start this tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and it, you sleep into seven and... You quickly maybe glance at a passage from Genesis. You don't even get to Revelation. You start the Our Father, but then you remember you had something in the, in, you had to make breakfast for the kids, so you run downstairs. Instead of trying to do all that, you could do one of the earliest Christian rules of prayer, which is just remembering to say the Our Father three times a day. It's a little bit easier, and it's a better starting point than trying to do too much. It's good to have a reasonable pace. And many have left the faith altogether. And today is the feast day for St. Luke, the evangelist, we commemorated this morning. One of the, uh, one of the, the, 
supporters of the ministry of St. Paul and the writer of the book of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts that we have in the scriptures. And I believe along with St. Paul, as he imitated St. Paul, as St. Paul imitated Christ, he provides an example for us as the rest of the saints do. They provide examples for us, which is why, brothers and sisters, when these special days come, we talk about them a little bit. Sometimes they fall closer on a Wednesday, so we'll do it on a Wednesday. But those who have gone before us in Christ are examples for us, people that we can follow. And we just confessed in the Apostles' Creed, we confess the communion of the saints. And St. Paul, here in his letter to his son in the faith, St. Timothy, talks a little bit about Luke, but he also gives St. Timothy some really good advice so we can wind up finishing strong in our life of faith like St. Paul did, like St. Timothy did, and like St. Luke did. And what makes that text of, of, of Timothy particularly powerful is that it reflects the mind and life of St. Paul as he's nearing the end. And he knows it. He always knew what his life was leading him towards. And he hints at it throughout the times he urges people to imitate him as he imitates our Lord Jesus Christ, even to his own cross and beyond. And we see some of this in the book of Acts, written by St. Luke, as St. Paul steadily and slowly but inevitably makes his way to Rome to appeal to Caesar after having continual legal trouble. And the Roman authorities not quite knowing what to do with him. So when we read the book of Acts, we find that Paul was garrisoned, not garrisoned, he was, he was sort of sent to and he was kind of meant to stay, forced to stay at Caesarea. And so what happened was the Jewish authorities want him to be sent to Jerusalem. But the reason why they, they request this is because they make an agreement that they will try to assassinate Paul on the way to Jerusalem so they could finally be rid of him. And so the Roman governor named Festus, he tells them that you have to come to Caesarea yourself and you have to kind of appear before us here. We'll kind of try to sort this out. So they do. Well, they, 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 they arrive. They don't quite sort it out. In the court, St. Paul maintains his innocence. He broke no Jewish or Roman laws because he hasn't. But Festus is trying to win favor with the Jewish religious leaders because it'll make him look good to them and it'll help smooth the local relations with them over. So then he says to Paul, why don't you go to Jerusalem to be tried in their courts there? Just go, it's cool. But Paul isn't dumb. And he notes that he hasn't done anything to deserve that or to warrant that. And since Festus isn't doing what he should do by saying you're innocent, and since the Jewish leaders are wanting his blood, he appeals to Caesar as was his right as a Roman citizen. So Caesar will hear his case and Caesar will decide his case. And we know what Paul talked about with Festus and what happens later with Paul talking about to Agrippa is that this was St. Paul's opportunity to present the gospel to Caesar. So Festus and his council discuss it and they say, to Caesar you shall go. To Caesar you shall go. And then right after that, 
a, a King Agrippa comes to visit Festus, and Festus is like, I got this guy, and he tells him the stories named Paul, and he's having all these problems, and so he brings St. Paul before him, and St. Paul preaches the gospel to him, gives him his testimony about Jesus, and what Jesus has done, and Festus is like, Paul, you're talking crazy, stop it, and Agrippa's like, you have almost convinced me to become a Christian, because Agrippa knew and believed in the Hebrew scriptures. And Agrippa says, if he had not appealed to Caesar, then he should have been let go. And Paul goes to Rome to await his encounter with Caesar. And we know ultimately that Paul is martyred uh, in Rome. We, church tradition says that he is beheaded. So in this light, this is all going on. He's he instructs, he's in Rome now, and he instructs uh, Timothy here in, in this passage. And I'm going to read portions of this a little bit. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and re exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So he tells Timothy, he says, first of all, preach the word of God. And like we talked about last week, and I know you remember because you were all paying attention, we talked about the word of God is living and active and more powerful than any two-edged sword and is able to penetrate. It is able to, it is able to see into the deepest parts of us and to discern what is in our hearts. St. Paul says, continue to do that. Continue to be faithful doing that. What I've taught you about Jesus and in, from and through the scriptures, continue to proclaim that because it is powerful. It shows us as we preach the word, we are confronted by the word of God. And it shows us how to live. It shows us how to orient our lives to God. And it does this by what he says next, uh, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And so as you preach the word, you will oftentimes reprove. You will bring correction where necessary. And we don't like to hear words of correction because none of us want to be told what we've done is wrong. We don't like it. We don't want to be corrected, but we have many times wrong ideas about God. We have wrong ideas about Scripture, not because there's anything necessarily wrong with us, but we have been taught wrong ideas about God. We've been taught wrong ideas about Scripture. We've imbibed enough of the culture to reject what God, who God is, and what Scripture testifies to of God's love for us in and through Jesus Christ. And so we need these notions corrected. And then sometimes, this is a tough one, sometimes through the preaching of the word, we are rebuked. We are rebuked. And as, a, as someone who stands up weekly to preach from the word of God, that's a tough one. Because it's, easy, it's easier to preach a corrective word. Because then you can be a little 
he can feel a little humorous with it. It's easier. But, and this is why I don't, I try not to do this too often, right? And it's only really as I'm preparing and, and sometimes it's only even when I'm already up here. But, but rebuking is something that, that I think many ministers try to, they feel that their preaching should be more about rebuking than about bringing peaceful correction and about exhorting, which I'll talk about in a second. There's a group of, 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 of uh, they're called Independent Fundamentalist Baptists. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. But that style of preaching is very much in that vein, right? It's very much rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. You're terrible, you stink, God likes you for some reason, I don't know why, so you need to repent right now and do what I tell you to do because uh, God's angry with all of you. Rebuke, 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 rebuke. It's all law, right? To, to use our, some of our, our Lutheran heritage here from this church. It's all law, there's no grace. It's all law, there's no grace. But, Sometimes that word of rebuke is necessary. Sometimes people need confrontation. And that's difficult to do. And that happens sometimes through the preaching of the word, and that sometimes happens through personal interaction. And then exhortation. This is a nice one. Exhortation isn't so much of, of corrective as it is an encouragement. Look at what Christ has done for you. Respond in joy. And we see this model, right, in the, in the letters of St. Paul. He'll say to certain people, you guys are doing fantastic. I am so happy with you. I've heard about your love for God, your love for one another. It's a testament to how awesome you guys are. Keep doing that. Just add one other thing to this, and then you'll be great. But then you have a letter to, like, the church in Galatia, where he's like, you've embraced a different gospel, you jerks. I just left you, and already you're turning aside to this other thing? If anybody preaches to you something different than what I taught you, let them be accursed. But then he writes like the Philippians. He's like, I'm so encouraged by your love. I'm so encouraged by your grace. The mind in Jesus Christ that he has is in you. Right? Rebuke, encourage, exhortation, right? Keep doing what you're doing. This is great. You're doing great. Encouraging people on to, to deeper love and to deeper service for God. All of that comes through the preaching of the Word of God, which Paul tells St. Timothy here to do. And all of this is necessary, St. Paul warns, because a time will come, and that time looks an awful lot to me like today. But you can make this application with all, day and time, all days and ages because scripture is like that. Where God's people will not listen to or endure sound teaching. That they'll have itching ears. And itching ears here is a way of saying that they will listen to people who will tell them what they want to hear. Beware. Anybody who stands in any pulpit anywhere and tells you or preaches anything to you that tickles your ears, that reinforces something you already believe. 
That sounds more like the spirit of the age than the spirit of God. If anybody stands in any pulpit here or at any other church you go and visit, and what they preach to you sounds more like progressive or conservative talking points, they've embraced the spirit of the age. They will listen, the people want to listen to preachers who will affirm their sin or affirm their choices or affirm their actions that are contrary to what we have received as Christians. St. Paul reminds them, he reminds Timothy, do these things, do these things. In Zionstone Church, if anyone stands in this pulpit and proclaims to you a different gospel or that God approves of th things that, that Scripture has shown us to be sin or, or teaches something more congruent with the spirit of the age or the culture than what we've received, then do not listen to them. Do not, re do not listen. Reject them. In, a, in two weeks, a friend of mine He's, he's, he's led services here once before named, named Greg Parker. He's a uh, uh, candidate for ordination in the, in the Presbyterian Church, and he's also a scholar of a Reformed theologian named Herman Bavink. And he's a good, he's a good guy and a, and, a, and a solid teacher of God's Word. So I can use him as a silly example here. If Greg, <laughs> if Greg Parker comes uh, in two Sundays' time, what's on Reformation Sunday, and he gets up and he says, the Holy Spirit is leading me to tell you that you can divorce your spouse and go marry somebody else. It's okay. If you've fallen out of love with them, it's okay. You can do that. God approves of that. It's fine. I want Ray and Jeanette to take him by each arm and lead him right out the door and say, thank you so much for coming. Here's your honorarium. You can go now. And Greg, if you're listening to this, I know you'll never do that. I love you. You're the best. <laughs> Itching ears. Reinforce things that we want to hear. Things, because what we want to hear, ultimately, brothers and sisters, oftentimes isn't what we need to hear. St. Paul then says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What awaits him now is the crown that Jesus will give him what he says on that day. And that phrase on that day is a reference to the return of Jesus. Because at the return of Jesus is when the resurrection will occur. And we, we have to remember that because our faith does not teach nor does, does it culminate in a, in a disembodied existence off somewhere in heaven. You know, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. That's a really, it's a really traditional and it's a lovely and a wonderful gospel song, but it's, it's woefully inadequate. Our life is, is, is not, our, well, when we die, right, our destiny is not to be a naked baby sitting on a cloud playing a little harp and flitting around all the time. Oh, wow, isn't this so much fun? Our life in Christ continues after our death when we are united with him as we await his coming again. Our faith culminates with our reception of our crown as our mortal bodies are raised and transformed into what St. Paul calls in 1 Corinthians spiritual bodies. Our embodiment continues in the age to come. 
And we get there, brothers and sisters, we journey in faith, which is the title of this sermon, by the way. We journey in faith by imitating St. Paul as he imitated Christ. We get there by imitating St. Timothy as he imitated St. Paul as he imitated Christ. We get there by imitating St. Luke as he and St. Timothy imitated St. Paul as he imitated Christ. And I think, brothers and sisters, Paul saying he's fought the good fight, he's finished the race and has kept the faith. I think that those are the ways that we can apply what Paul told Timothy to do as a pastor. Those are the ways that we can continue on the journey of faith so we ourselves will receive our crown on the day of our departure. He says, fight the fight of faith. So, point one out of three, which is probably the best way to, the best number of points to have, because once you get beyond three, it kind of gets hard to remember. Fight. Fight. This is unpopular because combat imagery, warrior imagery is unpopular. But St. Paul tells us what we're fighting against. We're not fighting against one another. He says in Ephesians 6, 12, our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our enemies are not people. Our enemies are not the person sitting next to you or maybe even the person sitting across from you or above you or behind you or in front of you. Our enemies are the evil spiritual forces of darkness and rebellion against God who seek our destruction. Our enemies are not the people who make us mad. Our enemies are not the ones who cut us off in traffic. Maybe they are. Our enemies are not our bosses. Our enemies are not estranged members of our family. Our enemies are not political leaders. That's a nice one. Our enemies are not those who have differing points of view from us politically. Our enemies aren't even those who may have different religious points of view from us. It doesn't mean we, don't, we can't hold the belief that they're wrong. We can because many of them are. But that doesn't mean they're our enemy. Our enemies are not flesh and blood, but against the evil spiritual forces of darkness that are in rebellion against God who seek our destruction. That's our enemy. But because we're materialists, we're functionally materialists, because as we're Christians, we believe in the supernatural, we believe in Jesus and we believe in God and the Holy Spirit and, and angels and demons and all of that stuff. Our culture has imbibed secular materialism for so long. That's, that's sort of the de facto starting point even for many Christians and, many for, and even for a lot of theology. But scripture is very clear that our, our enemies are exactly those things that our society is continually forcing, well not forcing, continually telling us don't exist. And if they do exist, they, they're like in haunted houses that you can bring cameras and do shaky cam and, oh, I heard a voice on the wall and then put it on Discovery Channel and call it ghost, ghost haunted, whatever it is, right? 
1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So our other enemy, besides the, the evil spiritual rulers of this age, our, our other enemy is the passions of the flesh, which St. Peter says, war against us. Right? So we war against our passions, and those are the desires that we seek to satisfy at the expense of others. If we don't master them, then they will master us. I'll give you an example, right? An easy one, because I can make fun of myself. I like to eat. Surprise, surprise. I've been here for five years. I don't think you guys are surprised at that. If you saw how much pig I ate at the pig roast, you would sadly nod in agreement. <laughs> so the desire for food is good. The other day I, I went with a friend to a Mexican restaurant and I got enchiladas mole, which was fantastic by the way. And they came, it, but they weren't rolled up like normal, they were kind of f like folded in half. And I was like, I can eat both of these. And I really should have only eaten one and taken the other one home and had it for lunch the next day. But because that desire for that food overcame my good sense, I ate both of them. And at the moment, I felt really great. But when I got home, even though the food was delicious, I didn't feel really good. And I'm using a silly, benign example because there's so many other salacious ones we can draw off of that aren't going to really be helpful for us. All that to say, we wage war against those desires for something good that can then be taken into a direction that ultimately won't satisfy and ultimately lead to our own destruction. And this plays itself out in many different ways. Gluttony, the passions of the flesh, lust, all of that stuff. These are all things we wage war against. Then he says, finish. He says, I have finished the fight. I have finished the fight. <laughs> So, I'm only, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I might as well. So, there's, uh, uh, there's a video game that I used to really enjoy playing. And the marketing for it was finish the fight. And all the gamers watching and maybe sitting here going, yeah, Halo 3. And it was this sort of this epic thing, like, we've set up these first two games, right? And then the third one is this is going to be the one, at least until the fourth one came out, when we're all going to get together. This fight you started all these years ago against these evil aliens that are trying to kill you and then these other things that are turning into zombies. Now we're going to finish this. And they, they had this ad campaign, which was amazing. They had like a short film. Like the guy who directed District 9 did like a short film, and it was great. And then they did like a fake documentary of like veterans of this war. And then they it, it was like what's his name that does the baseball in Vietnam? Ken Burns. It was like a Ken Burns documentary style about like these veterans that don't even exist based on a war in a video game that never occurred because it's in the future and it's only fiction. And they put together this massive campaign and they did all of this stuff to get people to buy the game and then it cast the whole thing as one big epic that you're taking part of. And everything in the marketing and the ad campaign revolved around get that assault rifle and that magnum and then we're gonna go, we're gonna finally take out these aliens once and for all that are trying to destroy us. And it worked, it worked. People are still playing this game. And the first one came out like 20 years ago and a new one's coming out very soon. But their whole thing was finish the fight. 
And in a silly way, that's kind of an example of, of our lives as Christians. Because the book of Hebrews talks about the spiritual life, our life in Christ. It casts it in terms of an athletic competition. So I think it's Hebrews chapter 12 where it says, um, it talks about how the saints who have passed, right? They're cheering us on as we're running a race. Maybe it's Hebrews 13. I forget off the top of my head. That's the imagery. We're engaged in an athletic competition and those who have gone before us are watching us and they're cheering us on. Basically like a massive Olympic event. Our life is oriented towards, is being pushed towards, finish the race. The race of faith. The race begun at your baptism. When you, your sins were forgiven, when you were washed and you entered into the life of faith and the life of the church, even if you were a little baby and didn't understand that doesn't negate the work that God does in and through the water. That that begins the life of faith that we then own as we, as we get older, as we're raised in the church, as we learn to pray, as we learn to worship, as we learn to love our Lord. Finish that race. And some of us, some of us, are going to run over the finish line at the end of our lives with our heads held high. Have you ever seen those people at the end of the marathon they are only kind of tired and you really hate them because they've run like 20 miles and they're like, yeah, that was kind of difficult, but yeah, I feel good. Didn't drink any water handed to them on the way. And then you get those people at the end of the race who are like this and they, they get on their hands and knees and they just crawl over the finish line and sometimes somebody has to like help them up and help them over. Both finish the race. Both finish the race. If you limp, if you crawl, if somebody has to drag you kicking and screaming, finish the race. Unfortunately, there will be those who leave the race. Keeping the faith. Number three, keep. Keeping the faith isn't just a reference to remember just to believe the right things. St. James reminds us about faith without works is dead, right? Keeping the faith is our life of faithfulness to God as we live out our faith every day, as we live out what we profess through what we do. Through what we do. Keep the faith. Don't just say you're a Christian. Don't just put a, a fish bumper sticker on the back of your car or a cross or the one with the fish eating the Darwin. I saw one the other day, it was like a fish eating a Darwin fish. And then there was another one, it was like, uh, it was like a, a Darwin fish eating the Christian fish that was eating a Darwin fish. It was pretty great. I was like, guys, come on, be nice, relax. Don't have one of those bumper stickers on your car and then cut me off. <laughs> I don't have any bumper stickers on my car, so when I cut people off, they don't know I'm a pastor. <laughs> Keep the faith. What you say and what you pray 
ideally should match. And that's a challenge for all of us. And all of these three, right, keeping the faith, finishing the race, and fighting the good fight, all of these three work together and they reinforce one another. And they're all tied in with what St. Paul instructed Timothy to do, to preach the word, to exhort, to reprove and rebuke. All of that stuff works together. So we are formed in our life of faith so we can cross the finish line. And St. Luke is his feast day today. I think, and and St. Luke, as we see in this letter to Timothy, the only person who was left with Paul was Luke. Because he had sent out Titus and some other guys to, they, they had jobs to do. They were doing things. They were helping the churches. The only one who remained with him was St. Luke. But there was one named Demas. Which is sad. It says that he has forsaken me. He's forsaken me. He says he was in love with this present world, has deserted me, and gone to Thessalonica. So somebody who started the race, someone who tried, who began the fight, who got into the athletic competition, fell in love with the transience of this world and fell away. Loving this present world, he left. Contrast that with St. Luke, who in spite of everything, stayed with St. Paul, who like St. Paul, fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith, even when it was his own time to die even with his own martyrdom, like Paul did, in imitation of our Savior, St. Luke did, following our Savior. And may all of our lives, brothers and sisters, imitate St. Luke's life as he imitated St. Paul, as he imitated Christ. Be our example for us. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father, who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zion Stone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.